you are an almighty God, a wonderful God, and you have a message for us today. And I pray that you can help us to set aside the things of this world, the things of this life that are so busy that creep up on us and try to distract us, and that we can just spend some time with you, that your Holy Spirit will be poured out upon each heart. We've come here today not to hear any human speak. We've come here today to hear your voice, dear Jesus. So please hide me behind the cross of Calvary, and may your words reach each of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. McKindle Research, this conference employed them to do some research in this, in this conference just recently. And I think it's from 2016, these, these statistics. And many of you, some of you here in this room probably were surveyed because 774 people were surveyed across our conference, members of our church. And they say that's a statistically valid um, research project. And they made observations about people's practice and beliefs. And some of the key findings were that 89% of our membership believe it's wrong to to divert tithe. That's good that they believe that. Should be 100%, but 89%. Sadly, though, 40% of people are diverting their tithe to places like ICC, ADRA, even the Rotary Club. Can you believe it? The Rotary Club with their tithe. Now... Um, 64% though have a high trust in our conference just let me do something here and um, 53% let me go back 53% believe the conference is the best place to send tithe to spread the gospel so people believe in the conference they think it's right and yet 80 and yet 40% are still giving it to other places one new Southwest church member said this I've attended Seventh-day Adventist churches my whole life and never heard a sermon or a presentation on tithe, why it is important, why it's biblical, or the blessings involved. So if that was you and you wrote that on the survey, this will be the last day you can say that because I'm going to talk about that today. I must admit when I first became an Adventist, I was a bit scared about returning tithe, um, paying tithe at first of, or of just how I would manage, but I've never been left wanting it would be good to have meetings once in a while to tell Adventist members how tithes are used, not just statistics, and allow them to ask questions so they can fully understand how the tithes are being used. You know, they found that there were 200 people which were happy to share a personal story. I am sure in this room there are a number of you that have a wonderful story of God's blessing. Please come up and talk to me afterward. I want to hear some of the best stories around the conference. I want to get the camera crew that the conference oftentimes hires or some other camera crew and come, if you're willing, and video these things and share these stories with the conference so our people hear that we serve a living and active God who didn't just do great things a long time ago but does great things for us today. My real passion as a pastor is not money. My real passion is this. Ellen White tells us in Selected Messages, Volume 1, a revival of godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. In the 100,000 pages manuscripts that she wrote, this is the only time, the only sentence she uses three superlatives in one sentence. The revival of godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow his blessing upon us, 
but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work, by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer, to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. The last two churches I've been at, I've seen the churches more than double. And it's not because of me, because of what God has done. And I want to encourage those of you that are involved in prayer ministry at this church, those of you that are praying for the Holy Spirit, please do that. I would love to come and tell you story after story about a church transformation by revival of prayer. But that's not my topic today. But I just want to tell you that's my real passion. What is tithe? What is tithe's purpose? Where should my tithe go? And what about offerings? We're told to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're told that the love of money, the desire for wealth, is the golden chain that binds men to Satan. It's this love of money, this desire for it. Now, in Australia, how much money do we actually have? Anybody know what the wealthiest median country in the world is? We've got a lot of scholars here. We've got a lot of wise people here. What's the, what's the richest by median country in the world? Norway? Not quite. It's close. Geographically, it's kind of close. Sweden, kind of close. Switzerland. Okay. Switzerland is by median the richest country in the world. The second richest country in the world, which for in recent times, five years in a row, the richest country in the world, it was actually Australia. Today, Australia is the second richest median country in the world. We call ourselves the lucky country. We are. This is a country that has received many great blessings. First Timothy tells us, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We know that the earth is the Lord's. He owns it all. He has it all. God says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Our money management reflects our walk with God. If someone looked at your credit card and bank statements, if a complete stranger were to get a hold of your financial account and they went through all of your expenditures, could a, would a complete stranger, by looking at your finances, know that this is a Christian? Would it be obvious to them? Would they know that that's where your heart was, that that's where you were at? The result of salvation produces a life of discipleship and obedience. It's a result of salvation, not the other way around. One cannot have Christ dwelling within them and remain the same. God promises to give us a new heart and a new spirit. He causes us to walk in his principles. When you become a Christian, this is what happens. For a long time, I thought that God's going to take my carnal nature and he's going to slowly over time turn my carnal nature into his divine nature. You know what? It's, it, God doesn't do that. He can't do it. It's impossible. I wouldn't say God couldn't do it, but God doesn't do it because our carnal nature is so bad, it's not worth anything. It's got to be replaced. That's why we're told we got to die daily. We need a complete transformation, a new heart and a new mind. As Christians, we are called to be stewards of our body, which is God's temple. We're called to be stewards of the gospel. We're called to be stewards of our time. I could do a sermon on each one of these things, obviously multiple. You know that. 
We're supposed to call to be stewards, stewards of our God-given talents and gifts. We're called to be stewards of the earth and the nature around us. We're called to be stewards of relationships. There's many more things not on this list. We're called to be stewards. I'm so glad the Sabbath school lessons are covering this topic. I'm really glad. It's been like 37 years since it's been covered in Sabbath school. So many of you here might remember the last time it was. Most churches, there's very few people that could say they remember it. When we put God first, he will give us wisdom and he will bless us. We have plenty of stories about God's blessing for us. Why do we give? Christian motivations for giving are to glorify God as our creator, to integrate God into the material side of our life, to show thanks for God's grace and blessings. And the, and the best one, I believe, is to become like Jesus. What does Jesus do? What does God do? For God so loved the world that he, he gave. And did God give because he had to? Was Jesus kind of kicked out of heaven, forced with a pitchfork, get down there, and Jesus came kind of, a bunch of these rat bags down here, I'm going to have to come down here. Was that the attitude in Jesus' heart? Jesus was so eager to come. Even when faced with all of his closest friends betraying him, this cup that he didn't even want to take, he still said, let, not, not my will, but your will, God. Let me do this. He was willing when he couldn't see through the portals of the grave for your sake and for my sake to go through that. Jesus was a happy person in his life of giving. He gave so much away. We know that in his ministry he had one robe. That's all he had to wear all week long. He had very little. He gave it away. He had more fun in giving than in keeping. He was a very happy, positive person. And if I want to become happy and positive, I want to become like Jesus, I also need to be a giver. Biblical tithing. Tithing, by the way, isn't a matter of generosity or gratitude. It's a matter of honesty with God. All the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. God says, tithe is mine. Tithe is just like Sabbath. God says, one-seventh of your time is mine. God says, one-tenth of your income is mine mine. God says it's not even yours. Tithe is a tenth part of your income or our increase if we are self-employed. This is the first part of our God-given increase that he claims as his own. The word for tithe and tenth are used interchangeably in both the Old and New Testaments. Some people wonder, why is tithe a tenth? You know, God could claim any amount is his. God could have asked for 50%, 90%, any percent. God chose a tenth or 10%. How many of you are mathematicians here? I see a couple of hands, not a lot. We don't have a lot of mathematicians in these conferences I'm going around. Not many people want to claim to be mathematicians. You know why God chose a tenth? Because even if you're completely not a mathematician, everybody can figure out their tithe. It is so easy. You take the little decimal point and you just move it over one. Doop. There it is. Ten percent. No brainer. Everybody can do tithe. You don't have to be that clever. Central Storehouse, Malachi 3, this key passage in the Old Testament where God asks this question, will a man rob God? And God answers his own question, says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. 
God says, bring all the tithe and offerings into the storehouse. What is the storehouse? You know, back then, the storehouse may not be exactly what you think. We'll look at a story in a minute. It's going to show you. Yes, there was kind of a central place, but once it came to that central place, it was redistributed. The storehouse was the central place where the everlasting gospel was, would be preached from to the world. Today, we know that the everlasting gospel is preached by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church has said that that storehouse is the local conference. Why? Because the local conference is where its responsibility is to share the message with the world. Because it's actually you and I. That's our responsibility. It's a local level. And yet it's a worldwide movement. Anciently, the Lord instructed His people to assemble three times a year for worship. And it was at these holy convocations the children of Israel were told to bring their tithes and their offerings, their sin offerings, their offerings of gratitude. The Israelites actually gave at least one-fourth of their income to God in the form of tithes, thank offerings, support of the temple, and gifts of the poor. Some of you, a lot of you know about second tithe. I wish I had time to do a whole sermon on second tithe. It's an incredible study, but I'm not really dealing with that today. But they would give about 25%, at least 25% of the income. And that's why the Jews back then and the Jews today are known for being very poor. Correct? Incorrect. Most of these donations were personally delivered by each family in kinder and cash goods to the central storehouse, first at Shiloh, then at Jerusalem. And, you know, interesting thing is even though they're away from home for like a month at least to go to these things, and they gave 25% of their income, it was a cause of their prosperity and blessing. Why? Because they were connected with Jesus. Their lives were connected with Jesus. Anytime your life is connected with Jesus, you're better off. The poorest person connected with Jesus is richer than the richest person on planet Earth today. It's that simple. Because God is richer than all the richest people on the Earth combined. And God owns everything. And so when you join with His kingdom, you join with His riches. The use of tithe, we're told very clearly... Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. It's clear that God's chosen purpose for the tithe was to support the religious leaders and the families. The Levites were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to plant their own crops. They were completely dependent upon the 11 tribes, all the rest of God's people's faithfulness. In harmony with this principle... The Seventh-day Adventist Church has designated the local conference as a storehouse to which the tithes should be returned and from which the gospel ministers would receive their salaries. Tithe is returned through the local church where membership is held. The local treasurer then sends the tithe to the conference storehouse from which the religious workers are paid. By the way, though most of you should know this, but even if the tithe increases or doesn't increase, it does not change my salary as a paid minister of the gospel. If it did, I wouldn't be able to preach on this. You know, those churches that are congregational, which is most other Christian churches, the pastors preach on tithe. Why? Because they want to buy a new house. They want more money in their pockets. That doesn't happen in our church. We're allowed to preach the truth without fear that people might vote with their feet and leave and we can still feed our family because our salary is not going to decrease. It's a beautiful system God has set up. So where does your tithe go? In the North New South Wales Conference, this is where it goes. 
57% goes to gospel workers and evangelism. 20% is basically the conference takes a tithe of the tithe, and that's 20%, and it goes to the worldwide church. It actually goes to the union. The union takes a percentage. The union takes a percentage and sends on to the division. Okay? 8% is for administration. 9% is for conference departments. 3% for education. And 3% for camps and conventions. This is currently where your tithe is going. It's going to the gospel work, which is exactly what it's supposed to be going toward. This matter of giving is not left to impulse. God has given us definite instruction in regard to it. He has specified tithes and offerings as the measure of our obligation. Let each regularly examine his income, which is all a blessing from God, and set apart the tithe as a separate fund to be sacredly the Lord's. This fund should not in any case be devoted to any other use. It is to be devoted solely to support the ministry of the gospel. After the tithe is set apart, let gifts and offerings be apportioned as God has prospered you. Friends, if you are not returning tithe to God, you're beginning to miss out on the blessings that God has for you. Does God need your tithe? No, he doesn't. He owns everything, but for your own blessing, for your own connection with God, God knows that it's good for us. Evidently, on several occasions, folks came to Ellen White asking how to properly make restitution of back tithe. Many confessed that they had not paid tithes for years, and we know that God cannot bless those who are robbing God, and so the church must, robbing him, and that the church must suffer in consequence of the sins of its individual members. There are a large number of names on the church books. If all would be prompt in paying an honest tithe to the Lord, which is his portion, the treasury would not lack for means. If you have robbed the Lord, make restitution. As far as possible, make the past right and then ask the Savior to pardon you. To defraud God is the greatest crime of which man can be guilty. And yet this sin is deep and widespread. Did you know that? The greatest crime is to defraud God. I thought about why is this the greatest crime of all? I mean, you would think that murder, adultery, you know, stealing, we'd go through the list, we'd think that something else would be a greater crime. But I look at it this way, here God is, this benevolent, loving giver. He gives to us constantly, He constantly gives to us. And if we take it, take it, take it, and never share it, that's, that's really... That's really thumbing God in the face. Saying, God, I don't care about all your gifts. I don't want to be like that. I'm going to be selfish. You know about the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. If you want to receive blessings from God and never share them, you become dead just as the Dead Sea. But if you share, you're filled with life as the Sea of Galilee is. Second Chronicles chapter 29 through chapter 31. I'm not going to read all of those chapters to you. Don't be too worried. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to some, this story Hezekiah became king in Judah. His father, Ahaz, was a wicked man. He set up idols. He did away with temple services. He was a wicked, evil man. But Hezekiah, when he became king, when he was 25 years old, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3, we're told, in the first year of his reign. In other words, immediately he sets out. In the first month... He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. God's house had been closed because the idols had been set up. So he opens up the house of God. Verse 4, Then he brought 
in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. And so he calls Levites together and he says, look, God's curse is upon this whole land because we are not serving him. We're not worshiping him. We're not honoring him. And so he calls them all together. He restored the temple worship. He had the priests all consecrate themselves. In fact, the king even prayed a prayer asking God to heal them for their to, to heal them from their trespasses and their lack of being sanctified and, and going through the holy things. And God heard him and it pleased God to do that. And they began to worship God and to re-keep um, the feasts like Passover. Chapter 31 says, When all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out of the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars and pieces. They cut down the wooden images and they threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his own possession. So he opens up the temple of God. People come in. They start hearing what God wants them to do. They're challenged. Then they're told to go break down all of the idols. You see, until you break down the idols in your life, you're not ready to really worship God. God helped them to do that. They were appointed in divisions. Verse 4 says, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Because before this, earlier in the passage, we're told that there weren't enough Levites and priests because there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough for them. They couldn't survive. So they had gone out to do other things. Verse 5 says, As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the, uh, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid in heaps. In the third month they began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. They had so much in abundance when the people began to do this. And they began to distribute that. If you read later on, they had people appointed in every city to distribute this. We have a much smaller network of distribution with Russell Halliday and the team in the conference office than they had back then. There were a lot more people to distribute. You know, imagine taking wheelbarrows or donkey loads of grain, olives, oil, etc. out to the cities to do this. You know, shortly after this, this great king Sennacherib comes against Hezekiah to wipe him out. And Hezekiah completely trusts in God. And what does God do? God completely delivers the nation, gives them great victory. Why? Because they return to God with all of their heart. 
That's why. You don't have to worry about the enemy when Jesus is your best friend. On a very consistent basis, Ellen White urged church members to make sure their accounts with God were square at the end of the year. Regarding an experience in Australia, she stated, One brother, a noble-looking man, a delegate from Tasmania, came to me and said, I am glad I heard you speak today upon tithing. I did not know it was so important a matter. I dare not neglect it longer. He is now figuring out the amount of his tithe for the last 20 years and says he shall pay it all as fast as he is able, for he cannot have robbery of God registered in the books of heaven meet him in the judgment. One reason that the tithe may be applied to school purposes. Still others reason that canvassers and call porters should be supported from the tithe. But a great mistake is made when the tithe is drawn from the object for which it is to be used. The support of the ministers. There should be today in the field 100 well-qualified laborers where now there is but one. How much more tithe should be there? A hundredfold. You know, if we look statistically at our conference, there is no way, even if every single church member returned a double tithe, we're not going to have a hundredfold. Not even close. Why? Here's why. We're told that if all the tithes of our people flowed into the treasure of the Lord, as they should, such blessings would be received that gifts and offerings for sacred purposes would be multiplied tenfold or a thousand percent, and thus the channel between God and man would be kept open. You see, if we do a little bit, God says, I will do the rest. I will multiply it. The priests had to dip their toe in the water, and then God parted the whole water. King Jehoshaphat had to march out with his army and then they were all obliterated. He had to go out and have the choir sing. The children of Israel had to march around the city. The one that does the great work is not you and I. It's not our wealth. It's our God. And when we combine what little tiny bit we have with what God has, he he multiplies it just as he did with the, the fish and the loaves. We have story after story after story of God's great power. And yet we look in our bank account and say, God, you can't do much. Where is our faith? We've got to put our little bit into God's hands and say, God, you do what you want, and God will multiply it a thousandfold. Now, this is a nice purse here. I'm sure there's a fair bit of wealth in it. In fact, this lady taught the Sabbath school class I was in. She was talking about finances. So I'm sure she knows how to budget well. I'm sure she knows how to take care of her finances well. Now, now this dear lady, Shirley is her name. Um, I have five boys now. And my house isn't always perfectly clean and tidy. It's, it's, a, it's a busy place. And I just wonder, Shirley, if you'd want to come to my house sometime, and I'll, I'll pay you out of this. I'll pay you out of this to help take care of my kids and do some cleaning and etc. around my place. Is that like a good, a good deal? I mean, I'm sure there's a plenty in here to, to pay you well. And even if there's not much inside, I mean, it's a beautiful bag. You could at least have the bag. Would I be paying, surely, anything if I gave her out of this, if she came to my house to do something? Would that be paying her? I wouldn't be paying her a cent, friends. Because this isn't even mine with which to give her. Now, when it comes to tithe, do I pay tithe or do I return tithe? It's impossible, friends, to pay tithe. Does that make sense? It's not ours to start with. You can't pay for something out of something that's not yours. God says it's his. And so I don't like, I hate the term pay tithe. I've heard it a lot, but we don't pay tithe. We return tithe. 
and yes, okay. We return tithe. Tithe is not a 10% blackmail payment to God so we can do what we want with the remaining 90%. Neither is tithe a tip to God thanking Him for what we have received. I love what Julian Archer says. Tithe is not a sign of your generosity. It is a sign of your honesty to God. Tithe is not an offering. Tithe is not a donation. So don't return your tithe to a cause that asks for offerings and donations. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Tithe is just something that God says, look, this is mine. And if you're a Christian, you understand that as Sabbath is God's time. So it is. But there's something that God wants beyond our tithe and our offerings. I'll get there. What about our offerings? Our offerings come from the 90% that remains in our possessions after we return our tithe to God. Tithe are given for many reasons. There were several different offerings in the Bible that people would give reasons for. And you can have your own reasons why you want to give God. For your health, for your life, for your family, for your friends, for Australia, for anything you want to give. It's totally of your heart. What's in your heart? Failure to bring tithes and offerings to the storehouse was considered by God robbery. And um, Jesus portrays money as a direct competition with God and speaks of the impossibility of serving both money and God. You know, both Cain and Abel brought an offering to God. They both brought an offering. They both were giving of their own stuff. They both brought an offering to God. But God only accepted one of them because only one of them really came from the heart. An obedient heart. God does not receive the offerings of any because He needs them and cannot have glory and riches without them, but because it is for the interest of His servants to render to God the things which are His. Friends, God does not need your money. I'm not here to twist your arm, manipulate you to give more money to the conference because you know what? God doesn't need it. He absolutely doesn't need it. He owns everything. If he wants to accomplish something, the rocks can cry out. The benefit of tithes and offerings, the great beneficiary is you. It's not God. Will God make good use of it? Will God multiply it? Absolutely. But if you find that you hold everything to yourself, you'll find that you're, you yourself are not blessed. You're not that stream flowing that God wants to use to be a blessing to others. The free will offerings of the humble, contrite heart he will receive and will reward the giver with the richest blessings. He receives them as a sacrifice of grateful obedience. You know, God can give you blessings beyond what the world can give you. He can give you a long life. He can give you health of which money cannot buy. He can give you friends. He can give you family. He can give you things that all the riches of the world cannot buy. That's what God can give you. I'd rather have the blessings of God than the blessings of Bill Gates. Plus, one only lasts for a finite time and one lasts for infinity. The psalmist challenges us, describe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him. Tide is a test of our loyalty. Offerings is a test of our attitude and our gratitude. If you've never heard of e-giving, I was checking out your church website, by the way, and you have this on there. It's one of the tabs. I was like, this is excellent. Some people say, you know, I, I don't really use cash much anymore. It's all online. I don't know who your treasurer of the church is, but your treasurer would love for you to do all your tithe and offering online. Don't feel guilty when the plate comes around if you're not putting in, if you've already put in through, through the online system. And um, so e-giving is a wonderful tool with which you can give very easily. You can set it up to automatically do stuff. You can just 
It's so easy to use. It's very simple. You just go into the site, click the church you want it to go through, your tithe, your offerings, it'll go directly there. You know, a big camp appeal offering was started a few years ago. In 2016, we raised over $300,000. Much of that went to help Fiji, you might remember, and other projects. Last year, they made a goal for 500000 We actually got close to 600000 This is There's more money that came in after that time. It was about $590,000, which went for a rise and a bunch of church plants and a bunch of wonderful projects. This year, they're having a, making a goal. They're targeting to get a million dollars at Big Camp Offering to, again, do wonderful things around the conference. If it doesn't come in, God will still accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But there's an opportunity with which is there to which um, can be given. And more information of that will be coming out. Just want you to know about that. Ultimately, Julian Archer, a good friend of mine, says, Ultimately, you're looking for a revival of primitive godliness where members recommit their entire lives, time, talents, temple, and treasures to God. Before we can acquire the grace of giving, we must have the grace of receiving. Freely you have received freely give. If you haven't sat at the feet of Jesus, if you haven't understood what Jesus has given you, you won't have a heart that wants to give. God so loved the world that he gave. God's purpose for offerings were to partner with humanity, to be a testimony of praise, to support his mission on earth, to strengthen the unity of the church, to provide for his church and to help the needy. Let's acknowledge God's ownership of our covenant relationship with him by being faithful with our tithe. Let's show our gratitude by systematically giving offerings to him systematically giving offerings. I would encourage you, if you have not done this, most of you could probably preach to me better than I could preach to you. I want to acknowledge that. But I found very wise with your offerings is to take a percentage of your income. I'm not going to tell you what that is. That's between you and God. Take a percentage and say, this is offerings. Collect it. Have a certain amount that you give every week and have a certain amount that you just hold back, whether it's for 13 Sabbath offering, whether it's for the big camp appeal, whether it's for a... Uh, 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 a child you want to sponsor in, in Africa through ICC or an Adger project or any kind of thing that you want to do. Whatever's in your heart, whatever God wants you to do. And yet that will build up and you'll end up with hundreds or thousands of dollars in time that you say, you know, this is wonderful, I'm going to give to this project. And you feel so good being able to have that to give. You know, the benefits of the Seventh-day Adventist tithes and offering system are incredible. We, God blessed in the structure of our church in the in the foundation of its church the tithes and offerings come in they are distributed around the world and the people that the hands go through don't take a you know the tithe goes to pay the workers so when the offerings are given the workers don't take any it's just given to the projects that you give there's no other organization on the world that's like that if i want to send a thousand dollars to thailand nobody takes a cut other than the bank which the transfer of of currency we can't avoid other than that, there's no, no other thing that happens. It goes around the world. And when you give your tithes and your offerings to, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church storehouse, a percentage goes all the way up to the General Conference, which is distributed to the whole world. If you are faithfully returning your tithes and offerings, friends, you are helping the everlasting gospel in the entire planet. Amen. There's no other church on earth like the Seventh-day Adventist Church where that is true. And so by returning your tithes and offerings, you are helping the gospel to go forward to the entire planet. What a wonderful opportunity. The Lord does not need our offerings. This is the only way in which it is possible for us to manifest our gratitude 
and love to God. He has provided no other. John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. 2 Corinthians 9 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're thinking, oh, I don't want to give this tithe, I don't want to give this offering, don't. Please don't. Because God wants something far more than your offering and your tithe. God wants something more important. Now, how many of you have a fridge at home that looks like this? You know, I'm one of seven children. And we almost always had other people in our house. And my grandparents went through the Great Depression. Some of you may have gone through the Great Depression as well. And when I was a child, for a while, we were extremely poor. I can remember jumping into the great big bins behind the supermarkets in America and fishing out food so that we would have food to eat. To this day, if you see me with a plate of food, there's nothing left. I eat everything that's given to me. I don't waste. And so because we didn't want to waste anything, in our fridge, we had these little Tupperware things. And so whatever was left over at a meal that wasn't eaten, we put into these little Tupperware things and you stick them in your fridge. And the trouble is, you have a family of nine people. You don't usually go to get a little tiny thing like this to feed nine people. And so they would sit in there sometimes for months. We had a, a, a constant science experiment. How soon could things turn colors, depending on what it was? And I remember as a child having leftovers, and you taste it and see if it's good. No, you taste it. No, you taste it. Sometimes I'd taste it. You know, I can still remember some of those things that were off. If it had mold on it, you would know not to taste it. But sometimes you couldn't really tell. And so I don't really like leftovers. It's not really my favorite thing. But for a little while there, when my mom was pregnant with our youngest two identical twin brothers, she was bedridden the last few months of the pregnancy. And so we had a maid. This lady came at our house for about three months. And she was there to help look after us kids and to do our cooking. Now, she had a very clever way to make sure the leftovers didn't become three-month or six-month experiments. She made sure that no leftover lasted more than one week. And here's how she did it. Whether it was breakfast, lunch, or tea, all the leftovers for the week, when Thursday afternoon came, she pulled them all out of the fridge. Fruit, veggie, it didn't matter. She pulled them all out. She would take them. She would put them all into one big dish, mix it all up. Sometimes she would blend it. She would stick it in a casserole dish and stick it in the oven and bake it. And that's what we got to eat for tea. It was not good. It was horrific. It was disgusting. What are we serving Jesus? What are we serving Jesus? If Jesus came to your house, would you give him leftovers? Would you give him the scraps and the fragments from whatever was left over from your life? Do you spend your time doing everything you want and, oh, I've got to have a little bit of extra time, what would you like? Do we spend our money for what we want? Got a little bit extra, what would you like? We spend our time, and we spend our talents on what we want, and then I got a little bit left over for you, God. You have the leftovers. Is that what we're giving God? You know, there's 40 references to tithes and tithe in the scriptures, eight references to tenth as tithe, so 48 references. Far more than tithing, we have this thing called first fruits. 58 scriptural references to first fruits. Before we go there, I want to go to... Well, I'll talk about it a little more. But Ezekiel 16 says, You offered yourself to everyone... Th this is in the context of God says, Look, 
you were discarded. Nobody valued you. You were a little baby. You were basically thrown out in the field. I came. I, I cleaned you up. I took care of you. I clothed you. You grew up. You matured. I gave you, I decked you out with jewelry. I put nice clothes on you. You were beautiful. And then this is what we did as a people. We, you, God says you offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians. Therefore, I stretched out my hand against you. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and were still not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart? God says you've chased after the world. And we can look back and say, I'm not chasing after the Egyptians and Assyrians. No, I only chase after Netflix and Hollywood. I'm only chasing after the latest app on my phone, the latest game. I'm only, I'm only chasing after the latest novel, the next installment of what's going on. Thank you, sir. I'm talking too fast. We chase after the things of this world, too. And we wonder why God's not blessing us. How degenerate is your heart? Isaiah 55 says, Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? You see, there's no black hole. If you could have infinity to watch movies, you would never be satisfied. If you had infinity to play video games, you would never be satisfied. If you had infinity to Facebook and spend all your time, you would never be satisfied. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. God says, I have another way. I have another way that you can have abundance. You can be filled. You don't have to be a broken cistern. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, what God really wants is your heart. This is what he's after. This is what he's chasing after. Your money's replaceable. Your heart is not. He wants you. And our first fruits is a demonstration of our heart. You know, when you were young and you fell in love, you didn't need someone. You didn't need your mother to bring you up and say, now listen, son, I need you to remember this girl you like. You should probably go around and see her. You should probably call her. You should probably take her some flowers. You didn't need anyone telling you to do that. If you did, she wasn't the right one. Right? Jesus wants our heart, friends. And our first fruits of all of our life is what God asked for. You shall bring the very first of the first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. I had a good business friend who would take his first month weigh all of his profit from this first month and give it all to God and just know that it would work out by the end of the year that God would bless him and God did every time now we're called to bring our first fruits to God now look at this I love this this is awesome notice what God does for us 1 Corinthians 15 20 23 but now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. What does God offer us? What does Jesus offer us? Does Jesus offer us leftovers? Jesus offers us himself. There is no better gift on planet earth today than Jesus Christ himself. This is what Jesus says, I give you me. I give you all of me. And we're thinking, I don't know if I can spare $5 this week. I don't know if I can spare five minutes a day to spend with God. I can't go to prayer meeting. I don't have enough time. I can't share my neighbor. I can't tell my neighbor about Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm too embarrassed. What? Jesus is the fir fir first fruits that we have. 
if you really accept the first fruits of heaven, there is no way you will not be excited to share the first fruits of your life, your heart, with a God like that. You have a promise card in front of you. Promise cards have several categories that you promise to set apart the first um, moments of each day to commune with the Lord. It's about time, taking time with God, that you promise to improve your relationships, that you promise, by the way, I'm not going to collect these. I'm not going to collect these. They're for you to keep. If you want to cross out promise and write choose, someone told me, it says, hey, I choose, not I promise. You're choosing. So if you break it, the devil doesn't beat you up with it. But you're choosing to do this. You promise. This is your intention. Keep it for yourself. Do you want to improve relationships? Do you want to establish a healthy habit this year to help you live even longer and be a benefit to more people? Do you want to promise to offer um, a one day or evening each week to work with God? Say, God, this day is yours. Maybe it's Sabbath. It already is God's day. Pick another day. Give to God to keep the Sabbath faithfully before God, to faithfully return the Lord's tithe, 10%, and to dedicate a percentage of your income to offerings. You know, God has done great things with you in your life so far. God wants to do even more. God has bigger and better things. And you may think that you're an old church, but compared to God, you are very young. Very young. When you compare your, your life to eternity, it's very young. So I want to encourage you to give to God of your heart and of all your life, and you will see that you cannot outgive God. The blessings that returned on your head will be will last for all eternity. Thank you. Dear Jesus, we consider that you emptied all of heaven to give us the very best and that we can have you right now in our lives. We can taste that first fruits every moment of our lives walking with you. It's easy to surrender all back to you, dear Jesus, for you are worth more than everything else combined. I thank you for this church which has been a leader in this conference which has set the example on what faithfulness and generosity does. And I just pray for a great blessing upon them that they would know that they are in your path, that they would have an experience with you that would even be better this year than ever before, that they would can look forward to that soon coming of your return. Guide them and bless them. And may each of us surrender our hearts again to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.